Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour Podcast, and your host today is Carla Reffold. We are joined by Dr. Darren Williams. He's the founder and CEO of BlackFog. In the wake of increasing privacy concerns across the world, he founded BlackFog to combat the growing number of applications and online sites that breach your privacy rights. With more than 20% of online activity associated with data profiling, it was clear that something had to be done to curb this growing threat for him. Unlike companies that focus on malware and viruses, this new category focuses especially on data loss prevention, ransomware and malvertising. Hope you enjoy. Darren, thank you so much for joining me today. No problems, pleasure. So tell us a little bit about you. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? So I'm actually a native Australian. So I was born in Melbourne, Australia. Um, So I've been and I basically came over to Silicon Valley probably around uh, 98. 899 actually into San Francisco and so I live there and uh, during the tech boom and uh, yeah I've been here pretty much ever since and uh, didn't plan on it but it's one of those things that happen and before I knew it I'd uh, a company that I'd started back then in uh, 9899 was acquired by a company in uh, Irvine California and then uh, pretty much after that after I spent about a year with them I guess uh, I ended up meeting my wife and uh, before I knew it I was married had kids and and just the story went on from there so that's uh, pretty much how, how the journey started well at least you followed the weather well that's true it wasn't by plan I wish it was my choice but uh, and it worked out really nicely that's for sure we certainly don't have four seasons in one day like I do in uh, when I was in Melbourne that's for sure <laughs> so what about education uh, so I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Melbourne, and I did a Bachelor of Science with honours in uh, I was in pharmacology actually, pharmacology, a bit of computer science, but. Uh, Basically, I discovered very early on that I was really into computers and programming since I was like you know, 10 years old, I guess, and that sort of spurred me on in that area. But so I, I tended to focus on the pharmacology side, and then that sort of led me on to get my PhD in pharmacology with a lot of computer science in it. So I did a lot of uh, data analytics. Um, so that'll sort of come out later in in the story about how I got into cybersecurity, really. But uh, yeah, so that's how I did my PhD. And then from there, I basically um, started research labs in, in, in developing software to help save animals, actually. So we were using a lot of um, animals for testing uh, medicines. And we were using it a lot for education purposes and for, you know, doctors coming through, understanding the uh, how different drugs work and it just seemed like a wasteful sort of use of resources to me so I thought with multimedia which was really big at the time and I guess this was probably back in the 90s um, I decided to do a lot of multimedia presentations and just using that to educate the students instead and that became really successful and sold a lot of copies of that and uh, that pretty much spurred me on to continue into the software realm and I became more and more specialized in that area in medical education and then that 
then spurred on the whole data analytics stuff later on. I love that. That's a totally different place to start from cybersecurity and privacy. <laughs> I know it's totally weird. It's uh, but but it's you know still utilizing technology for you know good of mankind and all that sort of stuff. And and you know I just really enjoyed that part of it. And I've always liked data analytics and some of the a lot of the algorithms that I developed were really for you know helping do uh, analysis of scientific experiments and things like that, autoradiography, which is part of my PhD, etc. So yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed that. And I thought that's, and it wasn't actually until one day, one of my professors come up to me and he said, look, Darren, you know, you'll be really good at what you do in, in pharmacology, but yeah, you'll probably only be a seven out of 10. And I, he said, I don't think you want to be a seven out of 10. And I, and he said, but if I, but, but when you're in computers, you're like 9.9 .9 out of 10. That's just my advice for whatever it's worth. And that sort of changed my life, I think. And, uh, that sort of steered me in the software direction from that point forward. Wow. And I, I like that about cybersecurity, that we do have a diverse range of backgrounds of people. Not everyone has a computer science degree. Yeah, that's true. And it does give you different ideas as well. I mean, I, I, I steal uh, ideas and concepts from a lot of different industries. And in fact, it wasn't I mean, this is how I got into it as well in cybersecurity because it's uh, everyone thinks about so just de developers tend to think about problems in a certain way, and I think people outside the market look at things. I think of it from a medical perspective and how the replication cycle of a virus and how drugs work, and that's how I approach the problem, and that's how we came up with the concept for Black Fog in the first place. It was all about stopping the replication cycle and the different ways that viruses breed and spread. It's not dissimilar to the way cybersecurity works either, and so we just used the life cycle approach and then looked at different strategies to, to stop them, which people were not using. And, you know, so that's how we came up with the concept. Do you remember the first time you heard about cybersecurity? I would say it was back in the day when I was actually doing my postgraduate degree and the university got this really big um, mainframe computer and it was a I remember it was a cyber 990 which is one of the most powerful computers in the southern hemisphere at that time and then it was also at the time where there was the internet was very early on and there was a there was just the first few viruses being developed and then people were going well what is this how do we combat it so that's when i was introduced to it and then i thought wow that's really interesting area and security is obviously going to be a big thing later on now i didn't think much about it at the time and it wasn't where i was focused but i just thought it was really interesting and that got me really interested in software programming significantly after that as well now, I've never heard anyone say that they thought about a computer virus and the life cycle in the way they did a medical one. Um, so I think that's a really unique perspective. What made you kind of turn that into a company? Well, that, I guess that's another part of the story in the sense that I thought that at the time that I got into this was so Black Fog was started in 2015, but we got the concept for it back in around 2012 because um, I just finished uh, my 
um, I just sold a company to a, a company in Canada and they were in sort of the peripheral, you know, theft of laptops and all that sort of stuff. And then we started thinking about um, what we would like to do next. And so as we were researching different areas and we were really interested in the privacy angle anyway, because of what I'd been exposed to, and we started actually measuring all the different aspects like the life cycle of the viruses and, and stuff. And we started, you know, browsing on the internet and watching all the traffic and how different attacks happen and all that sort of stuff. And we actually thought we had some anomaly there when we were doing the measurements and we were going to just corporate news sites and stuff like that. And we saw that there was an amazing amount of traffic going back after we just requested a news site. So we'd go there, we'd read the page and it's like, well, what's all that traffic going back the other direction or the exfiltration? And it's like, it was crazy. It was like 40% of the traffic was going back the other way. And we're like, that can't be right. All I did was request a web page. How can all this data be going back the other way that I didn't tell it to do? And it became something we investigated. And then we thought, oh my God, that's people actually harvesting and collecting your data. Are you kidding me? And then we thought if wow, if we don't know about that and there's all this information leaking from your machine, I'm guessing most people don't even realize that. In fact, people still don't even realize that, frankly. Uh, and then that's what we really show them with Black Fog. So that's really was the genesis of the idea, quite frankly. And it's that was our part of like, I think we've discovered a way that we can stop the replication of these viruses because and malware and ransomware, because guess what? They all need all the bad work they need to do requires them to talk back to a third party server to steal your data. So why don't we get them as they're basically walking out the building with the loot instead of worrying about having snipers on the outside and sentinels destroying them as they're coming at you? Let's get them on the way out. So that was really the genesis of the idea. So tell us a little bit about Black Fork now. What does the what does the product do? So Black Fog uh, basically is sitting on the endpoint itself because that's where the threats are really happening these days. And it basically blocks the exfiltration of data from the machine. So we are monitoring, you know, 20, 30 parameters at any one time, but we're looking at uh, the behavioral profile of what's going on. So we're looking at, you know, what process is running, what it's trying to attempting to do, what where the data's going and what they're attempting to attempt. To, to take away. So, you know, that can be the collection of data. Data profiling is a classic example, like I just mentioned. And so what we're doing is protecting the user privacy by making sure that that back channel is not operating unless you give it permission to do that. So when you visit a website, you go to BBC or CNN or whatever it is, when they actually instrument you, when you've come to that website, they're collecting a whole raft of data. Now, what people don't realize is that not only are they just collecting a little bit, but they're sharing it with each other. So normally you're going to see 20 or 30 different advertising uh, data profiling collectors on every page. And then what they're doing is each person's collecting a piece of the puzzle. And then what they're doing is then aggregating it all into the cloud. And then they say, look, if you give me your ID that you generated from this guy, I'll give you his gender. If you give me his gender, I'll give you his ID and then I'll also add in his political affiliation. And so they all start sharing it. 
So there's this big pool of data in the cloud that they're all basically contributing to and building up your profile. And I thought that seems just totally wrong that people are doing that and they're using it for ad targeting and lots of different things you know, you know we've all seen the scandals with Cambridge Analytica and the data collection that Facebook are doing so we thought wow if they're doing it for that they're probably doing it for you know corporate espionage which they are you know Russian attacks Chinese attacks there's all sorts of state-sponsored attacks going on and so really that's what Black Fog focuses on is protecting your privacy uh, and compliance, obviously, is a really big thing these days as well. So we're doing a lot of that and just generally making sure that you're safe online and no one's harvesting data they shouldn't be harvesting. I think we see technology and cybersecurity and privacy quite often as two separate things. Um, and this seems to bridge them together. So are you seeing an appetite for that in the market to bridge the two? Yeah, we are actually. And that's one of the, I think we're early still. I think that corporations are still so busy fighting fires and so busy with the sentinels on the outside of the building attacking the bad guys coming at them. They've not had the time to sit back and contemplate like this is really not working right if, we, if you're in the middle of a fire the last thing you're worried about is doing strategy about how to stop things in the future you're really busy about surviving and that's what i feel that most organizations are doing now they're just surviving i mean the latest stats that uh, we were just reviewing recently is the average company has something like uh, 57 different tools inside their organization to try and combat things. So clearly it's not working, the existing techniques. So we thought this is a way for us to talk about the privacy angle and the data exfiltration as another part of the story and to make sure that you've got complete 360 protection. And then the other part of the puzzle, of course, is isn't it better to actually uh, be fit and be preventative from a medical perspective than go to the doctor when you're sick? I'd rather not ever go to the doctor. So that's sort of our approach as well. Stop it before there's a problem. Then you don't have to worry about regulatory compliance. You don't have to worry about government fines and all sorts of problems that you have to deal with once you've been attacked. So that was sort of our approach and and, and that's becoming a, a much more common message, but it's still early, I think. People are still grappling with it. Now you've just touched on that there being a bit early and I see this quite a lot where companies have this great idea, but it's a little bit early in the market and actually you then have to work twice as hard. You don't just have to sell your product, but you have to sell the concept as well. So how have you been going about that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so what we've been doing is just approaching it from the data data breach um, side. So it's like on the periphery of cybersecurity, if you will. We see data privacy, data security as a bigger part of a, a story with cybersecurity is just one component in there, which is what most people have been busy focusing on today. So our message is all about privacy compliance and, and breach prevention. And we're finding that we're getting a lot more success with that sort of approach. What you don't want to be is 
a traditional cybersecurity vendor because there's thousands and thousands of them out there and it's extremely noisy out in the marketplace. Uh, it really is. I mean, you can go online today, go on LinkedIn or wherever, and there's just another 10 or 100 companies a day in the cybersecurity space. So you get lost in the, mor in the morass of everybody else. So we're really going in with the privacy message because we think that's the real angle and we think people are starting to care. Um, I think it's uh, it's one of those things where even if they don't care now, the data regulations are becoming so strict. Uh, you know, we've got all these regulations. GDPR was the first one which spurred us on, and then everyone else has pretty much followed. And it's it seems like every week another country implements another data uh, privacy regulation. So companies have to um, really prevent that sort of stuff happening, otherwise they're going to be out of business. So compliance is crucial. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think I've read this morning that Apple are going to put uh, on their new devices the option, or not even the option, make it a default that you don't send data back through third parties, that you have to choose to do that. So do you think that will have a positive effect? That's a great effect. It will, but it'll also have a negative effect on advertising companies. And it's interesting because the advertising companies are a complete opposite of what that, you know, that that whole concept. So it's going to be interesting. Now, Apple has the might to be able to do that, um, which is a great thing. And, you know, hey, I'm all for it. As you know, you own your data. Surely you should be giving permission for that to happen. And that's our our big thing. But there's also, and I think that's a great thing for privacy. I really love that idea. But I also think there's a whole raft of other things where you can't control people attacking you and harvesting that information without, you know, with, without your permission because that's, you know, state-sponsored. There's, a, you know, the APTs or the Advanced for Persistent Threats. There's a lot of malware that's already sitting within organizations and that's become particularly true. And what we've found is that in the days of COVID, now that everyone's at home, they aren't protected by all these big corporate firewalls everywhere. And they're not protected by, by all the different um, tools that these organizations have in place. So they're more vulnerable than they've ever been, which is why we make sure that our product works on the endpoint without all that infrastructure required. And it's a bit exhausting as a user, right? If you're having to sit there and think about every link you click or every site or every oh, download, yeah. uh, you know, if you're tired, people make mistakes. So Yeah, well, you're only human and you can't be expected to do that. You've got to have the technology help you out here because it only takes one person, right, to get infected like COVID. It's like one person's infected, the rest of the family's infected. That's all there is to it. It's the same thing. So that's why we've got to make sure that we are, you know, developing the technologies to protect these people. Now, I'm not sure if timing was on purpose with kind of GDPR and, and you launching or if it was a happy coincidence. But do you feel that we've seen the effects from that legislation that we were all hoping for and expected? I think we've seen a raising in awareness because of that and i've seen and obviously all countries in the world are either contemplating or have implemented sim similar regulatory environments now so that's a good thing because it has raised the awareness has it stopped everything not really um, but it's raised awareness and i think that's part of the process and i think that's a really good thing now we 
always were really careful with privacy early on and GDPR really spurred us on from a market timing perspective because we thought that if there's a European regulation going to be put in place and this was back so we came up with a concept in 12 and we thought we've probably got a few years of R&D work to do so it's probably good timing you're never going to get timing right anyway but as much as you can we thought that was a really good signpost to say yes the time is right to go after this this area which is what we did but I think GD Power has been great I mean it's been really good has it is it the panacea for everything? No, it's not. But I think it's a really good – I mean, it's so good that everybody pretty much adopts it as a baseline for all their regulations. So it has some effect for sure. And what about the CCPA? Obviously, that's a little bit newer and certainly evolving. Have you seen effects of that yet? Uh, that's newer, as you said, and so we haven't – we're starting to see more awareness. I think as the Californian – government start implementing fines and and policies and procedures and have a little bit more bite in their um, you know responsibility for that I think it's going to raise a lot of awareness I mean we have a we have a lot of partners we're talking to and a lot of them are starting to mention that now as the customer coming to them saying what are you doing on CCPA side so we are starting to see that evolve but you know it's a few years behind GDPR so in terms of timelines but we see it it'll be adopted a lot faster just because of the awareness out there and it's a big state. Now, you mentioned, you know, it's a very noisy market out there for vendors and technology. So how do you think companies can stand out? What do you do to, to stand out apart from having, you know, quite a unique product? Well, we're doing everything everybody else is doing. You know, we're just fighting for attention. We're uh, basically making sure we're marketing effectively and with the right messaging, with a different message. I mean, it's important to have your unique selling points so that you can actually sell that message. And uh, most of our work is done on educating people about what is actually happening out there and how organizations need to think, rethink their approach because – Another cybersecurity company is not going to, you know, is not enough. I mean, everyone just rolls their eyes. If you say you're in cybersecurity, it's like, oh, you're another one. What do you guys do? Oh, it's the same as everybody else, right? So that approach is not going to work so well. So given that we're in the privacy sector, really, uh, privacy is a better angle for us. And so we just keep on pushing that message out. And hopefully, and, and a lot of the innovative companies, to be fair, obviously are adopting it and uh, our revenues are growing accordingly. So it's one of those things, it starts as a trickle and becomes a flood. You just have to keep pushing that message out there. And eventually, you know, the, the more leading organizations see that, uh, because they've got the resources to think about it a little bit more. But the smaller organization, it's more of a struggle because they're so busy firefighting every day. Uh, but you always get, you know, you, you just got to keep going until you find the right partners. And that's that's the key for us. And we've got some great partners in Europe and, and now North America. So we just keep pushing that message. Now, with COVID making it a little bit harder, you know, we haven't got conferences and we haven't got in-person meetups and, and things like that. Plus, on top of that, you've had cybersecurity professionals being incredibly busy. So have you seen some positive changes over the last few months? 
positive in terms of yeah, business is certainly the 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 positive side of it is there's more need than ever for cybersecurity tools like us. I mean, with as I said, as people at home, they're working cafes at homes and wherever they are. We've seen a lot of uptick in terms of the number of people utilizing our tool and looking at and doing demos. So we're busier than ever from that front. The negative side part of that cycle is that. Because people are so dispersed, making purchasing decisions are a little bit slower because they've now got to, they can't get in a room and all meet about committees and budget requirements. They've got to send emails to everybody. So that's slowed down a little bit. But the interest level, so you've just got to have a bigger funnel really to effectively um, to close all the deals and just have something happening all the time. So, you know, pros and cons. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of things change in the market generally. It's interesting if you watch, and I'm sure you're aware of all the stuff that's going on in Silicon Valley these days, is that all of these big corporations with really, really large campuses are saying, hey, do we really need these anymore? Uh, and they don't because they're finding that it, COVID forced them to work from home so much, it actually worked pretty well for most people. And so I think Google has said that, you know, um, Google and Facebook and Cisco that, you know, we're probably not going to be needing these large campuses anymore. Uh, let's see if we can get rid of some of this real estate and uh, let all these uh, trusted employees work from home. Which I think is so interesting because a lot of for a lot of them the offices are the selling point. You know, people always want to right. emulate Google offices. So they do, yeah. And I think that's a good point because I mean it's funny. The, I would I'd hate to be in commercial real estate these days because everyone's saying how do I downsize? I mean, just in just in our local community here, we're seeing like all these businesses like just saying, you know, closed permanently, no offices open anymore. Here's our remote number on the side and call this number instead. And everyone's working from home. And it's like everyone's got a better quality of life. And everyone I talk to says, this is way better for everyone. People can get up in the morning and then they can just walk into their office and do some work. And, uh, and it's so the quality of, you know, life and the work-life balance is much better um, for a lot of people. So I think it's probably a good thing. And and let's face it, good people aren't in just Silicon Valley anyway. I mean, in our organization, we have people all over the globe. And I just want to hire the smartest people. I don't care where they really are, to be frank. I just want the best people. So, you know, we have, as a small company, I mean, we have people in uh, Scotland, Ireland, Denmark, um, S Sweden, uh, in, in North America, you know, well, East Coast, West Coast, I mean, South America. I mean, they're everywhere. And we're only a small company. So I think it's a good thing that it's actually spread and not centralized anymore. Now, that's really interesting because San Francisco has obviously been the, the hub for security and for tech for such a long time. Um, so it could yeah. be really interesting if actually that, that changes and people move out. Well, I think they're already starting to do that. I mean, you I, going to San Francisco is just so crowded, was really, really crowded. And people without really senior executive jobs i can't afford to live there anyway so they're all living in oakland and you know san mateo and all of these places outside of those locations anyway because it's just too expensive so i think that was inevitably changing anyway and i just think this has been COVID has given us the impetus to accelerate that whole process 
And now that companies see it, see it's working pretty well, it's like, hey, this is not a bad gig. This is good. Saves us a fortune on worrying about these uh, fancy corporate offices and we're still getting good people. In fact, we might even be getting more value because people are working more hours now because they're not worried about commuting all the time. No, absolutely. Now, I guess the only downside if you open up your, uh, you know, your recruitment to any country and just the best person wherever you are is you, you potentially find yourself inundated with applicants. So how do you personally then kind of whittle that down and, and get the best people around you? Yeah, so we tend to use through trusted networks, honestly. So just like, you know, VCs and other big networks work, they never do a direct, you never do it. Just someone randomly coming through the front door doesn't get really a look in. It's really, oh, you're a friend of Bob's who I really, Bob is a really trusted friend of ours and he knows what he's doing. I respect his opinion. I'm going to talk to that guy. So that's sort of how I've done it and built up our networks over, you know, 20 30 years I mean you just know who to trust and people that you've worked with in the past and they have their own networks it's like a pyramid really in terms of everyone has their people and if you trust someone you're probably going to listen to their opinion and they're probably going to know someone that's really good or they because they're not going to want to be embarrassed by saying hey go hire my brother who who's not really that good so they're never going to do that they're only going to give you people that they believe in themselves so i think that's actually a positive thing really now i'm really glad to hear you say that because we see this a lot where actually jobs are often through networks a lot of jobs are never even advertised and i think people coming into the industry don't always see this and they get really disheartened sitting there applying for jobs online where you're one of maybe yeah. a couple of hundred um, yeah so how can no people one, build I don't that know then? anyone hire. Yeah, I don't know why anyone that hires like that anymore. Um, so yeah, how do they build that network? That's a really good question. I mean, it's really just experience. It's like, well, when I first started out, I guess I didn't know anybody to begin with. I mean, you basically just you try a lot of stuff, you throw a lot of stuff at the wall, and then as you start meeting people and you start working with people, you think, wow, that guy was so effective. He's awesome. Wonder if he knows anybody else. Because if you know, good people. People tend to know other good people is what I've found. So it takes time. There's no shortcut, unfortunately. It's really hard. You've just got to have a recommendation. Someone's got to like you to begin with. If I was the one trying to get the job, you'd have to know somebody that that, that, that believes in you and is how it would help sort of push your name forward to some company. And it's easier to find than you think. You always know somebody that you, if, if it's you know your your uh, friends network, somebody knows somebody, and uh, you you just build it up, and then just time, you know, and your reputation tends to help drive those sort of decisions longer term. And before you know it, you know a lot of people. Use LinkedIn as well. That's always useful. Um, but, you know, it's, it, there's no shortcuts, I, I hate to tell you. It's just time and experience a lot of the time. It is. I do find in cybersecurity that people are quite willing to help if you reach out and ask for some advice or ask to make contact with them. Do, do you find the same? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, people are pretty – I mean, I think that's a Silicon Valley culture too. I mean, people just want other people to be successful too. And it, it's just – it is a very – it's a – 
it's funny how you think it's a really big world. Uh, Sometimes when you first arrive, you think, oh, what a big place this is and everything. And it is. But once you get into the network and you start knowing a few people, it's amazing how many people they all have in common with you. And you, it's like degrees of separation. It's like, oh, you know, Bob, I know Bob. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, everyone knows everybody. And just after a short period of time, you realize how small the software world is. And, and in cybersecurity, it's the same thing. And if you go to conferences, and unfortunately you can't right now, but, you know, go to these places, network, talk to people, and you, you do get it. That's how you build your networks up. Uh, hopefully COVID will be over and we'll be back to a little bit more of that, getting together as, as uh, professionals in, in spaces at conferences. But, uh, you know, that's where you meet a lot of people too. Now, I'd really like to talk to you a little bit about the startup journey and, and your journey as a founder. So this isn't obviously the first company that you've run. What lessons are the same across all country, uh, all companies and all industries? Uh, uh, well, for me, at least, all the companies that we've started before, I would say the common thread for us, uh, or for me, I guess, specifically, is all about data analytics. I mean, each company was different. The first company was all about, it was web analytics. Before there were Google Analytics, um, the company was called Urchin Software. We were another company that was competing with those guys. And so it was all about web analytics. I'm all d- a data junkie, so I always... How can we distill this complex information into um, actionable data that a company can utilize to be more successful and give a strategic advantage to? And so all companies have had that in common. I mean, the second company was in service management space. Again, it's distilling complex business processes and workflows and procedures and distilling all the charts and analytics for that. And then cybersecurity is that on steroids because you know cybersecurity has a lot more data than pretty much most other organ most other areas and so again we're distilling a lot of information and trying to extract that those really important characteristics and behavioral profiles that can help you prevent problems in the future so that's what i would say is the same now for a lot of people setting up a business is quite risky so how do you decide timing is right? Um, It's a really good question. I mean, I do a lot of research. I always do a lot of research. I mean, I spend months and months on research before going into a new space. Uh, Timing is something you can't control, really. I mean, I would say I'm either too early, too late, and it's, it's, it's really hard to be baby bear with it's just right. It's just really, really hard because you can't control uh, macroeconomic conditions and markets. I mean, who knew COVID was coming, for instance, and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of curveballs will get thrown at you on the way through. So you've got to use do a lot of research to make sure you're in the right space. Sometimes it's better to be a little bit early, but not too early. Because if you're too early, the market's not educated. No one will want to know you so it's a little bit of a gamble in some respects but you know for this one for me my gut sort of said look how could anyone in society not be not want to care about privacy generally it's a it's a basic human right and 
maybe they don't get it yet, only maybe because they don't really realize what they're losing because they can't see it. So that's when we thought, well, that's where Black Fog can help because we can show you what's being lost and maybe then people will care about it. And then we've also got protection from data breaches. So there's money attached to loss of data and corporate espionage, et cetera. So that's when we sort of said, you know what, it's we're willing to take a risk. And we knew what didn't work, you know, DLP, um, you know, data loss prevention was a technology that was sort of precursor to all of this. And we knew that stuff didn't work. It was too complicated. It was on the edge of the network. It just wasn't wasn't very successful. And most implementations have failed. So we sort of looked at doing the, the way we do things in terms of data exfiltration in a way that was on the endpoint and all the logic on the device itself, not in the cloud. And so we thought people would probably like that. And it's easy to use. And, and then we also designed the tool around, if my mum can use it, it's probably okay. But if, she, if, if the average person, it's too complicated, then it's probably gonna be a problem. So, you know, quit, the short answer is there's no guarantees on this stuff. It is a little risky. Starting a business is always a little bit like that. All you can do is do research and try and be as independent as you can is my other piece of advice probably in that you know you're a lot of people are going to tell you it'll never work that's sometimes a clue that it probably will and you probably want to go after it so it's probably worth taking the risk but the other one is just make sure you're really looking at with your blinders off so that you can take all the research and not ignore stuff that just that doesn't agree with your thesis, if you will. You've got to be very scientific about it. Because if ten, nine people tell you that something's not really working or they don't care about something, it's probably something in that. Uh, so you can't ignore it. Now, that's a really interesting uh, take because I think you're right. If a lot of people say it doesn't work, then maybe you should listen to them. But entrepreneurship is full of stories of the people that ignored a hundred people that told them it wouldn't work, but they were so convinced and weren't they right? So how do you balance that? Um, It's, it's a gut instinct a little bit. I mean, there's, there's all that macro stuff I look at as well. Like the, the general um, position that we are as a society in the world today, there was the flag that I mentioned GDPR, like, Europe as a you know as an entity was saying that data privacy is important that was a good you know a flag in the sand to say you know what we are going to do something about this and if a government or a, a European especially you know with all the multitude of cultures in there if they're all saying that then that's a really strong sign I think because normally it's difficult for get to get a lot of different cultures um, to agree, and, and certainly in Europe, because it's there's just so many of them making decisions. So I thought that was really positive. And then, uh, and then honestly, there's a little bit of a gut decision there. It's like, look, I care about my privacy. I I know my kids maybe don't as much, but they will once they realize what they're losing. So that was when we sort of said, you know what, it's it's worth a punt. I think people will care as when they find out. And then obviously now they're really starting to care. Initially they didn't and no one, like if you look back at the internet when we started in 2015, you could search for the word privacy and there was nothing. 
you know it's all about security cameras etc now it's about all sorts of other stuff so the frequency of the google searches in that area is exponential now so you know that's all the data research you can be doing and um you know, it, it, it's still a risk, but you've got to go with your gut a little bit too and and, uh, and make a punt. And that's what I guess all good entrepreneurs are going to be doing. I guess sometimes as well, it's who is giving the advice. Is it somebody with a really good reason about why it will or won't work? Or is it, you know, just somebody being that's negative? Yeah, no, you're a very good point there, actually. It's a good point to bring up because I think you're quite right. I mean, is this a domain expert or is this just someone's off the cuff comment? Because there is a big difference. Do I trust this person's opinion in this area? Like if it's your mum and dad saying something and they know nothing about the area, well, you know, but that's not going to really give you any data point worth worrying about. Um, so, yeah, no, I think you raise a really good point there. And I think that's what you need to balance as well when you're making these choices. Now, you mentioned that the previous company was sold. So if, if you're a entrepreneur in cyber and that's your end goal and we see a lot of M&A activity within this space what sort of things do you need to be keeping in mind right well it's not necessarily my end goal but I mean that usually happens along the way as a result of what you're already doing I mean so my goal is usually build a product that lasts and somebody uh, the new custodian who if that is a sale um, is going to take this further and multiply because you know you get attached to your products you develop a technology and I think all entrepreneurs are pretty much the same and and it's it is their baby right they, they want to take it out into the world and the way I see it is I'm, I'm I'm looking after it making it grow up it's becoming a teenager and usually when they're in their teens and their early 20s is when they get sold off because they've obviously matured into really good citizens at that point like you technology but you can only take it so far you need to send it to university too so that's the way I sort of think about it is okay so it wasn't I'd like to take it further but it's outlived my knowledge and capabilities to get it to that point you need a corporation like a big like a Cisco or an Apple or Google those guys can take it to the rest of the population and they have a, have specialists that can do all that stuff. So, so it just happens that you might have to sell it to do that. So I guess don't be mis I guess if you just focused on the end point, you, I think you miss the journey a little bit as well, because sometimes it's about the journey and, and being a good custodian of the technology. Now that's a really good point that sometimes the product or the company it outgrows you and your capability but as a, right. a founder who's invested in it that's quite a hard thing to spot so do you have any tips that's, to spot that so one of the things i learned very early hard lessons unfortunately is that i when i sold my first company it was like a kick in the stomach right it was really a, a gut punch because it's really hard to be the inventor of the technology and then finally sell your company and then all of a sudden you're nothing and you basically have no control and so you're so tied up with that company that it becomes part of you and then when that's taken away it's a very emptying feeling and I think I got really good at that on the second time around because I sort of realized look I've sold it it's not mine anymore you have to put that in your in, in your 
in your brain so that you don't go insane because it just eats you up otherwise. So I think I think about it from a business perspective more so than I do anything than I do did back then at least. And so now I can sort of dissociate. I sold it. Now you're the custodian of it. I can give you all my advice. If you ignore it, that's fine because I don't own it anymore, but I hope you do the right thing with it. And so I think it's a matter of just deciding and making that d- distinction that, look, you can't control it. Once you give up the reins to the to that horse, you no longer have control. Just deal with it. <laughs> so... <laughs> But it's hard. It really is. It's a lesson you have to learn firsthand. Yeah. No, I can see that. Now, we end each podcast with 10 quickfire questions. So are you ready? Uh, I don't know. It depends on the questions. All right. Let's let's give it a shot. What turns you on professionally? Um, Smart people that just get stuff done and don't. And, and come with solutions, not problems. What turns you off professionally? Okay, this is a good one. Being late to meetings. <laughs> that really <laughs> bothers me. And arrogance. How do you unwind? Glass of red wine. Mm. What profession other than your own would you like to try? Winemaking, because it's a creative endeavor and it's a completely different thing to technology. That is very different. What activity gives you the most energy? Um, activity, business-wise or per- personally? Uh, either. Either. I, I mean, I, I find running gives me clarity, but in terms of the activity that gives me most pleasure, is probably just sitting around with friends on a good, at a good dinner. Who is your biggest inspiration? Uh, Steve Jobs. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Attitude. Because I think the attitude is the one thing you cannot teach people uh, and and it all ties into work ethic and all that sort of stuff as well. Usually people have some skills. Um, We always talk about attitude, application and ability, but Attitude is the one thing I find that's really hard to teach. You either have it or you don't. You are at your best when you're doing what? Uh, probably sitting around uh, with friends at dinner. If or the... I like public speaking too, sorry. No, that's okay. You can have two. I'll let you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? Oh, really? Um that's a hard one. What? Um, I would say if I was talking to my son, I would probably say, or daughter, I would probably say, follow your dreams and don't be scared to take a few risks to get them because everything worthwhile in life often takes risk. That is a very good lesson. And last one, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? As the reason, um, I would probably say um, you worked hard and you played fair. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.